0: irreverent entertaining cool you're listening to la talk radio to all things therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm recovering from a cold, so my voice is a little more raspy than usual. I hope that everyone is having and has had a very fun and productive and meaningful holiday season. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, if you don't know that. I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist I'm also a Reiki healing practitioner, and I just want to thank you for subscribing and supporting my podcast. I love connecting with you as my listener. Some of you email me. I love that. Please keep doing that and continue to subscribe and share this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio. I would love to connect with you through my website which is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles therapy. I am accepting new clients to meet with you in person in Los Angeles or New Orleans, where I have offices on location by phone, Skype and FaceTime. So you can be anywhere and follow me on social media. I am working to build my YouTube channel and that, that, Uh, page or whatever you want to call it sorry my brain's a little bit fuzzy too from getting over this cold it's nola therapy two words nola therapy same on facebook nola therapy and on instagram nola therapy like follow subscribe reach out let me know what you think who you'd like me to interview and if you'd like to be on a guest i've interviewed quite a few of you who have emailed me about your work so thank you and contribute as a patron to this podcast. You can learn more about that through the campaign I have with Patreon. They're a platform for podcasters, writers, artists. Go check us out at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Receive also a free audiobook download and month long subscription. To Audible. If you like audiobooks as much as I do, I really love them, especially while driving. And if I get tired of listening to music or such, check out that opportunity at audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy. My guest today is also a licensed clinical social worker. She has practiced as an LCSW for over 40 years. She's the author of three books, and her work has been featured in Forbes. Parade, Good Housekeeping, Red Book, and Mind, Body, Green, to name a few. Today, we are talking about her book that's titled Role Reversal, How to Take Care of Yourself and Your Aging Parents. I don't know if you all know, but I learned from Iris and her work that there are between 45 and 60 million people caring for family members needing assistance because of a health related issue in the US and that number's on the rise since all of us are getting older this book i really recommend it to you to buy and hold or use it now if you're in that place caring for a loved one it's this book is a guide it's rich with information to navigate navigate things like the healthcare system legal issues that may present safety issues insurance Funerals, bear the burial, and resources for caregivers of all kinds. Iris offers services too to work with you by phone or at her Chicago-based office to help you navigate this really challenging time while you're going through grief and loss and caring for a loved one. This book, Role Reversal, has received eight awards, including Finalist for Best Book of the Year by USA Book News. Iris is a health educator advocate a speaker, and consultant. And her website, if you want to follow along, is iris w a i c h l e r dot com. Welcome, Iris.
1: It's great to be here, Lisa. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. How are you today in Chicago?
1: I'm doing really well. It's a little foggy here, but we're doing fine.
0: I'm glad to hear that. So I want to jump into your work because you offer so many points and and suggestions. I was personally curious. Are there a couple questions you're asked more than others by clients or in interviews?
1: I would say one thing that's really hard for people is when they wait too long to get help and all of a sudden they're in a crisis situation. So they don't know what kind of help they need and they don't know where to go to get it. So that's a really common scenario And the second one is people, uh, caregivers are so wonderful at taking care of others, not so much in, in terms of taking care of themselves. And so people will reach out when they're burned out and when it's a little too late. And so those are the areas that I think are most frequent and sort of universal themes that caregivers encounter.
0: Where do you suggest that caregivers start
1: I suggest that people be proactive, and that's a mistake that many people make. They wait until they're in the midst of a crisis. And so the best piece of advice that I can give people is when you have loved ones, whether it's your parents or whoever, friends or other family, when they are healthy, that is the time to sit down to talk about how do you want to age, where you want it to happen, who do you want to be the people to take care of you? Do you want it to, to stay in your home? Are you willing to have health care professionals come in? Make it a collaboration rather than a confrontation where you're telling someone to do something in a crisis when they may not be open to hearing you or may, they may not be able to understand what you're saying if it's a, a real serious medical crisis. So that proactive piece is a huge, huge part of all of this.
0: Yes, and I'm thinking to your book. Your book is a cross between, I, I would say, memoir style, talking about your own journey with your father, who was 92 years old and doing really well health-wise when you started writing this book, and then during the course of you writing the book at 96 is when he got pneumonia and passed away, and so you talk about how you and your father would speak openly about his his imminent death and passing and how he wanted things to be can you share some of that with us
1: um, that that was a huge gift that he gave me um when my mother died very young she was only 57 and we didn't have those conversations but we learned from that and so my father was really open to talking about uh aging to talking about what kind of help he wanted to talking about how he wanted to die. So when he did get sick, I I felt that I understood what he wanted. I felt that I was honoring his wishes. Um, and I did everything I could to um, make sure that, that his death was one of, of dignity, that he got the help that he needed, um, and that he knew that he was loved um, up to literally the last day of his life. And mm-hmm. The message that he gave me my whole life and my siblings was one of of love too. And uh, we were raised in a a family where there were always extended family members living with us and they were always, my parents were caregivers, they always took care of them. And so that was sort of a norm in my family. So it it felt uh, like I had a role model from a very young age and that was also um, incredibly important to me too.
0: Yes, your, your dad's parents lived with you and your siblings while you all were growing up.
1: My dad's parents, my mother's mother, um, cousins, my uncle. There was not a time where there really wasn't uh, an additional family member, an extended family member uh, living in our household.
0: You know, and I am half Pakistani. My father's from Pakistan. My mom is Irish. And I, I've observed when I, when I grew up, we had extended family in our house. My father brought his seven siblings from Pakistan and his parents. So all of my aunts and uncles lived with us growing wow. up until they got on their own established in business and got their own housing. His parents lived with us. My mom's parents, Mimi and Pop, I would be with them often, they would be staying with us. So I grew up with a household full of in-laws and relatives. Like I think a lot of foreign cultures do, which is really in contrast to just traditional American culture, as I've observed it, where people grow up, might get married, might not, you know, move into their own homes, see relatives and in-laws just on holidays. And I really enjoyed all the love that was in my house growing up with all the people. And um, it sounds like your upbringing was similar. What
1: an amazing experience for you. That's incredible. I I totally agree with your observation, too, about just in terms of American culture and American values. I think there are other countries that um, reach out more to their aging loved ones, and there are more multi generational homes there than here. Um, I have to say, in, in terms of our experience, m- a lot of it was good. But as you you probably picked up in the book, my my father had a, a very um, oh a complicated relationship yes, with with did. his father, um, and there were a lot of issues between them. And in spite of that, um, he opened the door and and took care of his father and mother and that was true of my mom too her my grandmother her mother were living with was living with us and they also had a very complicated relationship so the message that they gave me from that was uh, when you have family you take care of them um, irregardless of the differences irregardless of any conflicts that are there between
0: you you know I liked in your book where you talked about and this is my paraphrase that even after your grandparents passed away your dad again is as in my words would be almost bitter at times still angry and and when you were really able to help him shift his perspective when you said something like well look dad you know you you were successful in spite of them and you created this beautiful family and it seemed like that reframe really helped him to see things differently it, am i saying this accurately and perfectly and,
1: perfectly okay. accurate, accurately i'd say that's exactly what happened, and I think because my dad had this bittersweet relationship when when he was growing up with his parents, I think it was a huge priority for him to, and a goal when he came back from World War II, he he really wanted to um, find a wife and and build a family and build a loving relationship with with that family, and um, and that's exactly what he did, uh, and I think that's hugely important, and I think in terms of caregivers. It, it, It's really important to examine those relationships and those roles because if there are conflicts from the past, they certainly may arise and impact your relationship as a caregiver if you're taking care of somebody where there are some unresolved issues.
0: Yes, yes. And so how did you, well, between you and your dad had a good relationship from what I could gather.
1: Yeah, it was a beautiful relationship, yes
0: that was my sense as well so it it was more of helping him so to speak navigate the relationship he had with his parents as it presented through his own grief that would often or sometimes come out angrily
1: yeah I'd say that's true and also my mom and dad were married for uh, I think it was 36 years and they had a, a good marriage the vast majority of that time and then My mother became ill. She got breast cancer, uh, and my father became her caregiver, and that breast cancer metastasized to her brain and totally changed her personality. (laughs) And she became a very um, abusive, um, angry kind of person. And my dad was her primary caregiver, and so that, that was really, really hard for him he was yes. taking care of a person he he didn't know was his, had been his wife and unfortunately his the memories of his relationship with my mom were were those last 2 years were the ones that were freshest in his mind um and he never he never was able to separate her medical medical condition and how it changed her personality from the person that she was and One of the things I tried to do was help him to understand that, and um, he really had a hard time understanding that concept. And because, uh, in all fairness to him, he he was the brunt of a lot of her anger.
0: Yeah, and that would be hard to just turn off those feelings.
1: Yes, and I think for caregivers, particularly when you're taking care of someone who has Alzheimer's or dementia, uh, a, a part of that condition can also create someone who uh, whose emotions are very volatile? Who may have angry episodes? Who may lash out? And also people that are just aging. Um, when they become, when they need help, they have moments of anger too. And it's it's so difficult when you are the caregiver to um, to be on the on the receiving end of those kinds of uh, emotions and that kind of kind of anger uh, or not feeling that uh, the things that you're doing to take care of somebody is appreciated. And I think
0: that's a really challenging
1: piece of the caregiver role.
0: So when you have people approach you to work with you, how are they typically reaching out? Like what situations or scenarios m- might be kind of typical for you in your work with others? In case there's a listener out there kind of wondering... Yeah.
1: Well, um, I would say the most typical scenario would be someone has uh, an, an aging loved one who um, has a medical condition or, or an issue that um, they see is creating more uh, more dependence issues or, or more need for additional kinds of care or supervision, and uh, they're not quite sure where to go. They're not quite sure how to assess what is needed. And they're not sure uh, where to go to get to get the level of care that's needed. So many times, people just need some help determining how to assess when help is needed and uh, where where to get it. And also, as you well know, our healthcare uh, situation here is is so complex. People, it's difficult for people to understand what's covered by insurance, yes. what's not, what's and not. So, Many times I'll help people sort of navigate through that and so they can figure out um what resource financial resources are available, what insurance resources are available, and match them up with something that seems to work.
0: You know I'm thinking as you're talking iris i have I have a a dear friend and uh, another friend and a client caring for their aging mothers. And one of the issues that's been consistent with all three individuals is that when their aging mom has needed a caretaker to come in, that that's been problematic. That the the you know their mom hasn't wanted the additional help. Like, no, I don't need that. And yeah. you know, one one woman would like fire every caretaker her daughter would send. Oh, that's and, so um, common. Yeah. yeah, and it would really upset my client and my friend. Like, you know, they would they would say, "Mom." we, I can't be there 24 seven. I need to have a life too. And, and in one situation, the mother and daughter are in different States. How do you help people? What can help here at this juncture where the, the aging person parent, you know, is rejecting this help that they need and resistant to it.
1: Yeah, that's really common. And sometimes the people that need the help are really poor at self assessing. It may be denial (laughs) it may be the medical condition doesn't allow them to do it uh it, it may be that they're terrified of losing their independence and so they they lash out in the ways that you described and and what i try to do um is to reframe it and to try to to get it to them to see it as more of a collaboration rather than a confrontation so uh, the message that the loved one wants to give is i want to hear what you want i want to Find out um, what you need. I want to make your quality of life as high as high as it can be within the confines of what we have to work with in terms of of help available uh, of your insurance of financial resources so, and and the the thing to do is to Get the person that needs the care to to come on board uh, and feel like it's a team approach,
0: yes. Rather, rather it than being imposed upon them,
1: right? It, rather than me as an adult ch- child saying to my father, "This is what you need, and you're going to get it," and that 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 doesn't work very often. So, if if it's possible to make your senior loved one a part of the interviewing process, if not, to say to them. Would you like a man or a woman? Uh would you and and ask them to list what what qualities are really important for them as a caregiver. <laughs> to acknowledge to them that it's really hard to have someone you don't know coming into your home or to have someone you know not taking care of now taking care of you and if you're if they're moved to an assisted living or a skilled nursing facility to to be empathetic to them and to give them a chance to talk about how they feel about it um, and to let them know that you understand that and you'll, you're going to be there for them as an advocate in every way you possibly can.
0: Yes. I know with with your dad, it sounded like it there was a lot of positive things and, and ways that he was able to navigate For instance, when he sold the big house he was living in alone after your mom's passing and and was willing for you to help him find an assisted living facility. And I know food was important to him. So you would go at mealtimes to try the different food. And it sounds like your dad just really was uh, like such a wonderful way to to transition in the care one needs. Um, So uh, to me, it sounds like that was a blessing. It definitely was
1: a blessing, and um, it was a little bit terrifying for me because he sold that house while I was on vacation, and I came back, and he. Th- I said, what's new, and I came back, and he informed he, me he would sold the house, and he was moving in three weeks. But <laughs> he didn't I, know where, right? And he Yeah, asked he, I them. said, what, where are you going? He said, I had no idea. I was hoping you'd help me with that. So it was it was it was something um getting everything together getting his house uh, everything in the house cleared out and finding for him a place to live in less than 3 weeks but he as you said it it, it was wonderful in the sense he was open he trusted me and he yes. knew that and because we had laid that foundation earlier he knew that I loved him. he also um I think appreciated my medical background and training, so he trusted that professional side of me, and he knew that um any decisions that we made were going to be made together. So what I did with him is rather than say, "This is where you're going to go, um I picked out four or five places, and uh, we picked a couple that he that he we visited together. And then he actually was the one that made the decision, this is the place that I like, I'd like to go here. So he felt like he made the decision. I set up the parameters so whatever he decided would be workable on my end as his caregiver. And I think that's a really um, nice formula to use if it's possible.
0: If it's possible, it's. It, I think it's great and so much more seamless to have the awareness. Your dad obviously had self-awareness to be able to to think a bit ahead and position himself so that you all could avoid as many crises as as possible in his yeah. aging process.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, another piece I want to mention, Lisa. You mentioned earlier about uh, long distance caregiving, and that that's such a huge issue right now because our families are spread all around the country in different places, and if you have a loved one that's in another state or another, you know, far away. Um, That's a logistical nightmare for a lot of people. And so one of the things that I recommend is that um, people get a geriatric care manager. And basically what that is is a person with similar (laughs) training to mine, they're licensed and they're bonded. And they can go in um, and make an assessment and sort of be um, a person that you can turn to to help set things up if, if long distance is an issue. And also a geriatric care manager can be uh, a mediator. So in those conflict situations that we were just talking about, where yes. you, you think things are good and, and, you know, they keep firing the caregivers or they keep sabotaging what you set up, sometimes having uh, a person that's uh, objective, but is a professional to come in and sort of mediate that can def- deflect some of that negativity and some of those problems and, can sometimes help help situations that are, are difficult to
0: manage. I like that you're saying that. I'm actually taking some notes. Geriatric care manager, yes.
1: Yeah, and there's a, there's a website you can go to, and it's in my book, but yes. there's a website you can go to that has um, geriatric care managers where you just plug in a zip code and it'll tell you local people that are there. And the the beauty of, of a geriatric care manager is you sort of design an individual care plan so for whatever your needs are and the needs of the loved one needing the care. They'll go with you to a nursing home, they'll go with you to an assisted living place. They know the local agencies, so if home health care is needed, they'll help you you to see um what level of care is needed and and the other thing that i think is important and many people forget to do this they they set up a plan and then they don't go back and revisit it and mm. these situations are they're fluid and they can change and so a really important thing as a caregiver um is to to set up a plan and then agree with your loved one and the other people on the caregiving team or other family members to come back in a, a 3 weeks or a month or whatever and revisit how things are going, and then you need to tweak whatever seems to work or, um, you know, set up more or set up less, depending on what happens. And also sometimes people as caregivers volunteer to do something, and, and they don't realize it, it all that that entails, and they become overwhelmed. And, and so that's another good time to reassess uh, where you're at and figure out what additional support and mechanisms are needed.
0: Yes. Iris, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back in just a minute to continue our conversation sounds good yes And enjoy. And in all, make the world a better place for everyone. Welcome back to All Things Therapy. I'm Lisa here your host. Today, I'm with Iris Iris Weichler on her book titled Role Reversal, How to Take Care of Yourself and Your Aging Parents, a really important topic, in my opinion. Iris, as as we've been talking, a, a thought just keeps coming up. I have and I'm sure you do as well. I have so much empathy for people that are aging and to go from being living to to go from living independently and self-sufficiently to having to incrementally or sometimes suddenly depend upon strangers coming into your home, not being able to drive, to me it just feels like that would be so scary and I can understand why elderly people aging might get angry and resentful and, and have a hard time with this. It's it would be a lot to change and help to accept that one never needed before.
1: Absolutely, um, it, it's uh, it's so hard. It's so hard when you see yourself changing med- physically and mentally. Um, when you're faced with perhaps losing your home, when you're faced with losing a loved one. When you realize that you need help doing things that you did independently, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to to uh, cope with, in addition to whatever medical issues that are bringing on these kinds of changes in your life. And I have to say, it's it's important to acknowledge that it's hard for the caregiver as well, because in addition to caregiving, they're grieving. The grieving yes. loss of the person that they knew and the person that they loved. Um, and that grief component is huge for all involved. And um, it's sort of invisible, but it's there and it can't be overlooked. And it's important to address it and give all, the, all people concerned support around that.
0: Absolutely. You know, I I you do a lot of article writing, and I found a wonderful article you wrote that I want to mention because um, – it was about people that are aging alone that, that are single and some steps, some things you might want to be aware of as far as making plans. And I wonder if you could speak to to us about that a bit because not everyone is partnered when they are aging and getting older and, and what people might look for that are single approaching that stage of life.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really great point. Um, I think it's important to... Think about who in your life, it can be friends, it can be uh, extended family. If there are people in your life that you feel you can rely on, it's important to um, identify who they are um, and talk with them about what they're able and or willing to do. Um, Again, you know, we were talking about geriatric care managers before, I just want to mention the website where people can go to, to, it's, it's www.aginglifecare.org. And for someone who has nobody that, that can help them with this, this is, that's a place where you can go to get someone to help you through it if you don't have other people in your life. But Lots of times neighbors, um, your people in your church or your temple or or your synagogue or whatever religious affiliation you have, um, those are wonderful, rich relationships, and lots of times people there are willing to pitch in and to help and to offer support too. Um, neighbors can do the same. we many of us have people in our lives that we don't recognize might be people that can will will and do step up when we need that kind of help. But there's always someone available. Um, also local area on aging offices, those people are wonderful resources for someone that doesn't have anyone and doesn't know where to start. Um, I was a medical social worker in a hospital yeah. for many years, and people would come to me, um, family members and patients, and I would help connect them um, with resources um, in the community and help them transition Um, from the hospital um, to wherever they were going. And so local hospitals may have social workers that can help as well. So there are a lot of places to look, um, and you have to know where to go. But those are excellent places to start, I would say.
0: Thank you for that, aginglifecare.org. That's wonderful. Yes. Yes. So another thing you, you talk about in your work are different caregiver roles for family members (laughs) that they could play a part. Can you talk to us about that as well? Yeah. So um,
1: I think being a caregiver is very difficult for family members. Oftentimes what happens is one family member, oftentimes it's the one that's geographically closest to the person that needs help, feels that the bulk of the caregiving role comes to them, and, and sometimes in disproportionate ways. Yes. And so the thing to do is to sit down as a family or who, whatever members are going to be in the caregiving team. Uh, as I said, it could be relatives, friends, people from your local religious community, whoever, and think about who's going to be involved and what skill set they have. So, for example, in my situation, uh, my my little sister and I were local and did physical hands-on care with my father um my older sister lives uh, in England, yes, but she wanted to be a part of helping my mm-hmm. father so and she had financial resources so she wanted to contribute so she helped um, helped give money to help us get a companion for my dad when he needed it um, and then she and my brother came in and they did respite care for for my little sister and I when we needed a break because there was a, an intense time period where my dad was in and out of the hospital all the time and uh, we weren't sleeping so they came in and helped and that was huge there may be a family member for example who has medical knowledge and can communicate with the doctors there may be a family member who's really good with um, with bookkeeping and with finances and they might be able to help manage um, medical bills they might be able to help determine what uh, resources and assets are available that you can use towards caregiving so um, it may be someone in the family is a really good cook and that they can contribute by cooking. I mean, we all have different skill sets, and so it's just a question of identifying who has what skill set, um, and how oft- what tasks are needed to be done, how often they're needed to be done, and for how long, um, and then sort of dividing things up. And then, as I said, revisiting whatever scenario you create, whatever caregiver plan you create um, as a group, and to check and see how it's going and, and where things are seem not to be working and where things seem to be working very well. So it requires a lot of really good communication.
0: It does, and I think the negotiation of caregiver roles, as you just spoke to us about, is so important because I do see that a disproportionate amount of care giving does fall more upon one person you know, based on geography, for sure, and, and other factors. So I think, however, people can pitch in and help and support the the elderly, the aging parent, uh, loved one, and the caregivers is important. It, because it then cares-
1: that- I'm sorry, so go well, ahead. No, you first, and then I'll... No, I, I was- you don't feel appreciated, or you have a relative right. out of state that calls in and says, why aren't you doing it this way, or, or I can't believe you did that with mom, and where... They don't really see the day-to-day challenges that are involved. And so um, just other members of the caregiver team who aren't local, other family members, just them calling in to check and see how you are doing as a caregiver and um, having an ear to listen and, and a shoulder to cry on if you need it, that emotional support is another piece of it that's hugely important for the caregiver.
0: Yes, I agree. Even my sister and I are discussing it. So it's it's really early on. Since I spend more time in Los Angeles than New Orleans, kind of evolving forward. And our mom is here in New Orleans, and she the dis a disproportionate amount of of support for our mom falls upon her. And so we've started to have the conversation of what that's like for her and how I might support her and help should that time come when that time comes. So she's not feeling just alone with it all because I'm geographically farther away so I appreciate what you're sharing
1: yeah that's (laughs) really important yes that
0: also brings up to me something else you you started to say and as a topic when I asked about what are you most often asked about is compassion fatigue is is kind of the clinical term that Mm -hmm. caregivers experience compassion fatigue that we can be good at caring for others but not so good at caring for ourselves. Can you talk to us about that and how it plays out in caring for a loved one?
1: Yeah, that's a really important thing to mention, Lisa. I'm glad you brought it up. And I want to say this, too. I, I did a workshop with healthcare professionals because compassion fatigue not only help them, happens with family members, it happens with healthcare professionals. Yes. See, because it's cumulative, because you keep taking care of one patient after another. And what compassion fatigue means really is um, because you're so involved in caring for uh, another human being, you, the, the relationship begins to blur and their feelings become your feelings, and it's really hard to separate yourself from that. Um, and it, it can really um, impair your ability to be the best caregiver that you can be because it's, it drains you physically, it drains you emotionally, um, it, it, it affects your objectivity, so you may not be able to um, adequately assess what is needed either for yourself as a caregiver or for the person that you're taking care of. Um, and, and it is different than, than caregiver burnout because it's more it's more subtle and it's cumulative. And it can, um, it's more of a process. Burnout can, can happen suddenly or, or it can build up too. But um, that blurring of the roles is a real key factor around the compassion fatigue
0: part. How do you help people that are noticing that they're in this fatigued place of giving care and not receiving enough for themselves? What, what might be first steps?
1: You look, you look for symptoms. Um, the emotional symptoms are you find yourself um, losing sleep. You find yourself um, uh, feeling depressed or feeling angry or having angry outbursts where um, it seems like emotionally things are changing for you. Um, you're seeing a side of yourself you haven't seen before. Um, you may not be able to concentrate. You may not take the time to eat. You may not take the time to any time out for yourself. So those are some of the uh, emotional things. You cut yourself off and isolate yourself from family and friends because you're so um, in, embroiled in the in the caregiver role. Those are some of the emotional things that are are signals. The other thing is physical signals, we need to pay attention to our bodies because our bodies talk to us all the time Yes, and we don't always pay attention, particularly if you're a caregiver, because you're focusing on the physical needs of the person that you're taking care of. So in terms of your body, um, if um, part of my workshop on compassion fatigue was talking about how many injuries caregivers get, um, back injuries, for example, um, wrist injuries, injuries. Um, uh, they can um, physically, they the repeated motions of transferring someone or lifting someone up or um, doing the kinds of care needs that need to be done um, take a toll on your body. And so also um, gastric symptoms where you're, G, you're GI upset, uh, headaches, um, you feel a tense, tenseness in your body, um, tightness of your muscles, those are all symptoms of stress, and those are all symptoms of um, compassion fatigue or, or burnout. Those are things that can be signals for you. Also, another issue, if you're drinking more than you did, if you're taking um, medications more than you should, um, where you're trying to to compensate and, and continue and keep going without any sleep, without eating properly, without resting, uh, without exercising <laughs> – um, your body will talk to you about that, too, in, in, in ways that are unpleasant. So paying attention to our bodies is hugely important in in, um, in stopping that process. And you can stop it and you can slow it down, but uh, it takes uh, awareness on the caregiver's part.
0: And I think caregivers, too, need to give themselves permission to have empathy, a lot of, of love, love and compassion for themselves because not only – are you caring for your loved one who's going to die at some point? You're you're going through anticipated loss, you're grieving, you're trying to uphold your own life and responsibilities and and it, it's a lot going on for you. So I think people in this position, caregivers can be really hard on themselves and judgmental. So I just want to remind you to soften the self-judgments and really employ Empathy and compassion, taking some time to meditate can help if that's something you like, or being out in nature, talking about what you're going through to trusted friends is important, so you're not keeping it all to yourself. And just grief and loss, there are stages, as you know, Iris is a social worker, Elizabeth Kluber Ross's stages that David Kessler later ap- applied to grief, where you might be in some denial and disbelief about what's happening, you might vacillate to feelings of depression, anger, and, and such, and, um, you know, eventually have moments of acceptance, like, okay, I'm going to get through this, this is going to be okay, and and so there's a whole myriad of emotions, oftentimes conflicting, that you might experience in your body and mind at the same time, and just know that that's normal.
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Lisa, and also, um, what I would say, what, what you're saying is really important, and that is, give yourself as a caregiver permission to do things to take care of yourself without guilt because yes. guilt is such a, a paramount emotion in all of this and to practice what what you're describing which is mindfulness to be in the present using things like um meditation allowing yourself to take a warm bath or to read a book
0: yeah. or to take
1: a walk
0: or watch a movie
1: whatever soothes you whatever gives you a chance to recharge because you're not only doing that for yourself, you're doing that for the person that you're taking care of. And the other thing I would say is um, it's it's quite a roller coaster when you're a caregiver, and there are moments that um, feel so overwhelming, and if you're having a bad day, that's that's a bad day, but that's not to say that tomorrow is going to be bad or the day after that. One of the things about caregiving that's so incredible is, the intimacy that comes from that can be so rich it mm-hmm. can bring you can bring you together with the person that you're caring for in ways that you never imagined um, it can be a loving warm incredible time um, and it can be it can be really feel like a privilege when you take care of someone and and there are these moments where you could you communicate and you touch each other's lives in in meaningful ways that that's not been done before. And when those moments happen, you want to relish that and stay with that and really appreciate that because those are going to be the moments that are going to be with you after that person is gone. And that, that's a real gift um, and a part of caregiving that we don't, we often don't hear about.
0: Iris, thank you. Your book is beautiful and the information is so important. Your work is a guide offering practical steps and tips, as well as you being so transparent about your own grieving process.
1: Thank you, Lisa.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for today.
1: It's been a joy. Um, I appreciate appreciate having the opportunity to speak with you and also your sharing your experience and insights.
0: Thank you. It's mutual. (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year and a, a healthy New Year to everybody.
0: Thank you. Take care. Have a great rest of your afternoon. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That concludes my show today with Iris Weichler discussing her book on taking care of yourself and your aging parents. The book is called Role Reversal. It's available on Amazon and everywhere you buy books. Her website is irisweichler.com, W-A-I-C-H-L-E-R. And I just want to thank you all for being with me today and all the weeks that you've listened. Moving into n- 2019 will be my third year on as a podcaster on the internet, internet radio. And I'm just grateful. It's been such a journey. I've grown so much and I would not have kept pushing myself to do this each week if it wasn't for you subscribing and sharing and reaching out to me. So keep doing that. Lisa at NOLA Therapy. I wish you a beautiful new year. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.